Welcome to our podcast, We're Not So Different. I'm Samira. And I'm Ali. We're two professionals having real conversations about our experiences at home, work, and out in the community. We tell our stories through the lens of our different backgrounds to just find out that we're not so different. In our podcast, we'll explore ways that we can improve engagement and bridge social gaps while trying to find the humor in it all. Check us out on social media at WNSDifferent or email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. Welcome everyone to another episode of the We're Not So Different podcast. I'm Samira here with your my co-host, Ali, who's making faces at me right now and I'm trying not to laugh, but it's really difficult because he just has one of those faces. If you want to know what that face is like, join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. PST on Instagram Live by following at WNS Different. We're really excited about our guest today. His name is Vidal Guzman. Vidal is, Vidal is a New York-based activist that focuses on prison reform and empowering youth through awareness campaigns, leadership programs, and, active, and other activism activities. So Vidal, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you let our audience know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, uh, so additional on the things that you had talked about, you know, I, I've been active with a lot of campaigns. That's a Close Rikers Island campaign. Um, to uh, one in New York City uh, to strengthen the system to improve conditions for anyone who's still remanded um, and also to invest in communities that have been the most hit by mass incarceration um, and I also worked on the Raise the Age campaign. Um, New York and North Carolina was the two states that was trying kids as adults. Um, I was an individual that was 16 years old and I uh, was facing 15 years um, and although I also worked on other different campaigns and, and help out with the Black Lives Matter in New York. Um, and the most important things is building uh, youth leadership in New York City, um, empowering them, uh, understanding their value, what it means to use their voices uh, to organize, um, to understand how they're being oppressed. Um, and, and just the most important part is to understand their leadership and how, how important it is needed in this moment right now. Um, so that's a little bit about myself and the work I'm still doing right now and continuing. Awesome. That's, that's really important work. And I'm not going to lie. Um, I was ignorant to a lot of, to the depth of these systemic issues that impact people of color um, until more recently. Mm -hmm. I knew systemic racism existed. I knew that racism was still around. I just didn't know the extent of it. And I'm not going to lie, and, and maybe some of the listeners can relate. It really hit home for me. And this was before I heard your story. Um, it really, really hit home for me when I watched an episode of the CSI Special Victims Unit, where they tried a 15-year-old mm -hmm. boy, black boy, for an accident that happened as an adult. And I know that's ridiculous, and I know, but I feel like a lot of people may relate to that. And it's really sad. And it's embarrassing for me because I'm embarrassed that I only am aware of this now. And so many people like yourself have been a victim of it. And so I'm really glad to yeah. have you because I think it's something that more people really need to understand about because it's impacting children, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just, they carry that with them for the rest of their life. It's almost like they're 
lost at such a young age and it's it's really critical so i'm really grateful that you're here can you tell us a little bit about um you know just your life growing up where you're from your family dynamics yeah definitely so um my mom's is an immigrant um she has a background uh, she's actually from dominican republic um the same uh you know she lived in a third world country where majority of the police officers are working with individuals who uh you know the, the country calls criminals um but i i don't really believe in the criminal elements i believe that people are, are, are you know they're doing what they have to do to try to put food on the table um and and i know how you know in my neighborhood in dominican republic i know how unemployment um and i know how uh, opportunities are very thin um and especially in third world country where you know majority of the young kids are walking around barefoot and, and naked um through their neighborhoods um and you know for my mom she got active with uh, pushing back against police brutality, and especially the corruption that was happening. Um, so I was very, uh, uh, you know, I experienced advocacy in a very early age um, from seeing my mom's. Um, and she came to uh, she came to America for a better life, you know. Um, and, you know, that's false. You know, the American dream never been an American dream, only for people who are not black and brown or have a lighter skin color, right? Um, so she came here just for an opportunity to, you know, uh, you know, take care of our family. Um, and majority, it wasn't easy. We, we landed uh, being homeless when I was four or five years old, uh, living in a staircase in Washington Heights. Um, and then, you know, when my brother came, because uh, I have an older brother that finished doing 16 years, four years ago, uh, when he came to America, uh, we didn't have no role models. So most, most majority of our role models were drug dealers, pimps, and gang members. And majority of people who was doing successful things and, and, and pushing their community and pushing their family to a different tax bracket or, 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 or empowering their community left our community. Um, so, you know, at seven, eight years old, I was basically a kid that was watching out for my brother and the community and the place I was at while they were selling drugs, you know, because at that moment we was being denied job opportunities everywhere, especially my brother. Um, for me, I, I, I just thought like I didn't want to be homeless. So I did what I had to do. And it was very weird going to school at a very early age and then coming um, and seeing how the block operated. It was like two different worlds. Um, and the more active I started being in the streets, the more active I started being in the gang culture. So at 14, 15 years old, I started getting more active with the gang culture. Um, and my first time being incarcerated on, on Rikers Island, for a lot of people, you know, some people who don't know Rikers Island is, listen to Ice Cube. Uh, a song, you know what I'm saying, or a Tupac song when he talks about his experience being on Rikers Island. And Rikers Island is a complex in New York City that operates um, in, in a um, basically a 12 facility uh, under the Department of Corrections. So they have basically four facilities that's closer to the courtroom um, in the boroughs because New York City has five boroughs. But right, but New York has a, a, a island called Rikers Island. It's the only penal colony area that exists that still incarcerate people. Um, and the last one was Alcatraz. And, and, and we, we know what happened in Alcatraz and the history of it. Um, and this is the same history that if you read about Alcatraz, if you read about the history um, of other prisons and other jails, um, Rikers Island, it is, it, people confuse it as a prison. That's how dangerous it was. So my first time being on Rikers Island was 16 years old. Um, and I spent approximately two years on Rikers Island. And I learned a couple of things. I learned why they call it Gladiator School and Torture Island, you know, and I learned a lot of other different things from individuals who was in there. Uh, one of the things I learned also was um, to follow the three G's, right? Um, and, and it's very weird. It's a jail 
type of uh, educational way of educating people who are coming through the system. Um, don't get involved with, in that moment with gays, gangs, um, and gambling. And that's what the, the three things that people used to say to me, like, yo, make sure if you don't get involved in any of this, you'll be okay through your bid. Um, and another thing they said uh, on Rikers Island, Rikers Island rules, um, to make sure that you can, you can, you can, uh, that your cell door, it, you can't, like, that your cell door is closed, that like, you can't open it by your, your own hands. And that's what I didn't do, you know? Um, and I'll come back to that story to talk about it a little bit more. I, you know, the first week on Rikers Island is very unique because you're 16 years old and, and, and I have to be truthful being 16, 17 years old on Rikers Island, you know, a child's mind doesn't fully develop to 25. And, and one of the things when, when youth are incarcerated, they try to, uh, uh, to use this method of, of putting a mask on, right? Uh, of, of looking at people who are from around their neighborhood, people that they know, people that align uh, how their lifestyles is, so they can feel that they're not incarcerated. And that, that was the hardest thing for me to put a mask on at 16 years old and know that I'm facing 15 years. Um, and, and, and at one point, I, 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 didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking, I, I didn't thought, or, or wasn't, it wasn't nothing big that I was in Rikers Island. You know what I'm saying? You know, it was still shocking. Um, and the moment that I woke up and said, you know, you are really incarcerated, you are really in jail, uh, was when I seen three kids back to back. Uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, hang themselves uh, in the same place, and correctional officers didn't do nothing. So, uh, you know, for me, like uh, being seeing seeing a kid create a rope between uh, uh, with with a you know uh, sheets that they put on their bed, and, and me being very young, uh, you know, we don't have a way of expressing to someone that that's not cool. You know, we, we might laugh it out and be like, "You're crazy." And I didn't know that, you know, at that time, this kid was going to take his life. And, and, and it was back to back. And the thing for me, what shocked me the most is where I was actually at. Um, you know, I was in a cell area. I was in a dormitory area where I was at. I can see the kid, t you know, hang himself. And that's the shocking moment, being, me being 16 years old and saying, yo, I'm really in jail, you know. Um, and that's the moment that shocked me and woke me up. And then, you know, from there, uh, a week later, I was um, housed in a different housing complex. And as I, I told people before, as people told me, make sure that your, your cell door doesn't, uh, cannot be opened by your own hands. And I did not do that. I fell asleep um, and I was woke up with, with kicks, punch, um, and, and, and jumped um, by other youth um, because there's something that in Rikers Island that exists maybe, probably in every different places. Um, it's called the Fight Club, something that Khalid Browder, uh, has went through and didn't survive. You know what I'm saying? Basically, when I say that is because he came home and took his own life because of all everything that was happening on Rikers Island. And for me, the only reason why they stopped playing hands or, or, or stopped actually um, attacking me was because of correctional officers, hey, what are you doing? And very loud. And all I seen was like people just run out the cell. And I was on the floor, no, a bloody nose, bloody face. And I was looking at a gray wall and I had to ask myself, am I going to be the wolf or I'm going to be the sheep? And I told myself I was going to be the wolf. So every single day I fought. Every single day was a survival mode. I was in survival mode every single day on Rikers Island being 16 years old. I should have been thinking about the prom or going uh, or, or, or thinking about choosing colleges or thinking about what's my career choice or, or, or getting confused about what, what career I want to chase. Or, or having regular teenager problems, 
It wasn't that. My teenager problems was actually living and trying to survive another day on Rikers Island. And then I came home when I was 18 years old, um, you know, trying to return back to society. Um, never met someone like myself who returned back to society and got themselves back into, uh, you know, their life back into, uh, in, into place. And it was very hard, you know, returning back to society. I was trying to go get jobs anywhere, you know. I also, in New York, you have to check a box, um, basically a felony box. So they can know when you go for a job uh, that you have a felony. And majority, when you check that box, you're going to be overseen. You know, you're not going to be looked at. You're going to be on the bottom of, of, of the people that they might call, you know, of that job might call you. So, you know, uh, uh, rent was catching up. Refrigerator was getting empty. And I went back to doing what I was doing, selling drugs. You know, it got me reincarcerated in 19, I was 24. And I spent two and a half years in solitary confinement. Um, and I came home six years ago on uh, basically the first five years I came home, I was on gang parole. So anyone, anywhere I was speaking around the country, I had to report it in with the local uh, uh, sheriffs, the police department for them to actually talk to me about what gangs is around, what neighborhood and what, what place I couldn't go. Um, and me being home, uh, I started getting active with the Close Rikers Island campaign and other different campaigns that align uh, with making sure that directly impacted people had the voice to empower, educate people, and push people further, uh, not just reforming the system, but thinking about abolishing certain parts of the system or pushing the system into abolish itself. So yeah, that's something, you know, a little bit more about myself. So one thing I was curious about is, so you did a two-year bid, you got out, you went back to, um, back to selling drugs and went in for another two and a half, right? Or was it five? Five, I did five. Yeah, nine, two, five, twenty-four, yeah. What, what was the transitional moment between, between after you did the five, right? How did you work that transition into saying, okay, this is the last stop for me. I don't want to continue to live this life. And then how do you make that transition? Yeah. From, you know, not just, not just saying, I want to get back into society and work, but you went further than that, which is, you know, I want to get back into society, be a productive member, but I also want to get back to my community and make change in the system. Yeah, yeah, I'll be truthful with you. I, 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 you know, my journey was an individual, like, you know, building myself up. You know, I never really thought about when I first came home, like, and before I get to that part, I, I was never like thinking about being an advocate. Truthfully, I'm gonna be truthful with you. You know, um, I, I think for me, like a lot of the elders who was doing 25 to life with, without any possibility to be paroled, these was the individuals who was like really educating me and empowering me to understand the value of giving life a chance. And, and, and if, if you hear many no's, keep pushing yourself until you hear you're like, yes. And these, these same individuals was the one who was creating agendas to help people return back to society, knowing that they was never going to return back to society. And I had a mentor named Dredd that told me one thing. He said, um, there was this one guy that got reincarcerated third, fourth time. He was very angry. He's like, what's wrong with people? What, 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 why come back? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you scared to hear no's and you give up when you hear no's? And for me, that was a very challenged, you know, moment when he said that. That shocked me, you know, and, and, and that would, um, you know, it was my second to last time being in solitary confinement. And I asked myself something very serious, like what got me and what's next and, and where am I going? You know, and, and I had to look around me and see like who are the majority of people who are incarcerated as people of color. You know, people from my neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and young people, you know, I'll tell you something, man. 
when a kid is 16 years old, when I was on Rikers Island and, and, and I went and even in prison, you know, we had kids who were 16 years old and they looked 16 years old. Could they even fit the jumper that the Department of Correction even put on them? And I, I think a moment for me was when I was in solitary confinement, it was, it was two people right next to me. It was a guy who had been in a system for the past uh, 60 to 70 years of their life, and there was another kid right next to me who, um, during 18 years, were not any possibility to be paroled. And, I, you know, that's a very scary moment because you have to ask yourself, how much do you care about your life? And how do you actually want to contribute to, the, to, to, the, to your community and to your family? And what is your legacy going to be like? You know, and, and that's a very important part. Um, and I looked myself in the mirror. I said, you know, seven years of my life went and gone. People I love, um, you know, girlfriends that I call my girlfriend moved on, had kids. You know, like people that I was very close with wasn't around, you know, and, and, and like you know, family members that I, I was very in touch with. Um, you know, I lost my uncle and stuff like that. While I was incarcerated. I was, you know, losing family. I, I had to tell myself, like, I'd rather be, uh, uh, be home and, and rather be um, giving life a chance than, than trying to give uh, my life to any more of the Department of Correction or the criminal justice system. And I think that was the moment where I said, you know what, I'm just go out there and, and, and give it my all. You know, because I care about my life and I want to give and I want to have kids and I want to I want them to see that their father is someone who who valued um, their their future. And, and no matter what steps they took or what steps got them into trouble, or what hole they was actually in, that they got themselves out of there and they kept pushing um, for the family to have a name for them to have someone that they can call their dad and, and say, you know, I love this man because he fought. And, 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 and he did what everything he had to do to, to, to make sure that even if it's a bump on the road, you still get up. And truthfully, man, like I've seen so many of my friends get killed and so many, I lost so many of my friends and I had to ask myself, how am I going to let their legacy still live on? Cause in my neighborhood, you know, you light candles and you, you pour champagne and that's it. You know what I'm saying? And every year that their, you know, their birthday come or every year that their, their year that they passed away, it's a celebration. And I told myself, like, you know, when I'm going to come out there, I'm just going to do everything I have to do. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and my success of having a successful job is, is, is making sure that, you know what I'm saying, that I'm not giving up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, have, I have two questions for you. First, well, first, I just want to acknowledge your resilience and your passion. And um, it, I can't imagine that it was easy. And I'm glad that you had a few mentors and had the enough wisdom that you deserved better and that, you know, there was better for you and for the future, you know, your, your responsibility to your children and to humanity and to your community. So I, I just want to commend you for that, that shows true uh, leadership and courage. And that's, uh, we need more of that in the world for sure. Um, my first question is, you said you were charged as, as an adult. What would your sentence mm -hmm if you were not charged as an adult? Um, so first, I want to say to my future kids, I don't have no kids yet, but I will have to say, um, I mean, majority of people who, truthfully, let's, I think we should break that down and say, like, why, why are even youth in the criminal justice system? Um, if we know that a child's mind doesn't fully develop at 25, and a lot of people are going to ask themselves, this, what about murder and, and, and what about rapists, right? 
And I think when we look at our criminal justice system and we look at other criminal justice systems around the country, like Germany and Norway, where the residual rate is 20% in America, uh, residual rate, um, when someone come home in five years is approximately 70%. And like, I have to talk about that because it's like, when we look at our criminal justice system, it, it, it's, it relies more on punishment than, than the abilities to make sure people are returning back to society in a proper way or before they even land into incarceration, they get the resources they actually really need. You know, um, I would say a majority of the point, um, you know, at the end of it, I, I took a six, five split, right? So uh, basically I took a six months um, uh, cases program and a five year probation, but I already had two years um, already uh, awaiting trial. Um, and for me, like, you know, what, when I took the six, five split, it, it was majority of what a lot of youth was getting around the city um, because a lot of these programs was appearing now and serving a lot of the youth um, population. And I was a part of this cases program that helped people to return back to society. Um, but yeah, man, I, I really just go back to it and say, you know, when we look at our criminal justice system, it just relies more on punishment. And like when I looked at, and when I look at it, the way that our residual rate in, in, in someone who is like myself, who has own, you know, has the first five years on eggshells, it's a scariest moment. So, I, you know, I go everywhere with this, but I think there's a moment where um, me being 16 years old, um, being looked at as a dope, um, even if I wasn't being looked at as dope, I shouldn't have even been in the criminal justice system. You know, I, I think I would have not even been in the criminal justice system and my communities was well invested in. Um, and, I, and I look at that because, you know, me being in a neighborhood I grew up in, um, let's never forget, like, I, in majority of our, our communities was um, not invested enough, right? And majority of our programs that was serving the youth needs to give them role models, to get them, get them in the right, right path to success was, was missed, was, was going away, was, uh, was it, um, fun, they lost funding. So majority of that, these youth who was in these programs are now back, are now in the streets. And like when I look at my neighborhood, I live in Harlem. You know, it's a 55 block radius, and we have approximately seven to eight precincts in that in that 55 block radius. And you know, majority to take a youth to even even a youth to to program is only twenty thousand. And New York City to incarcerate someone on Rikers Island is three hundred and fifty thousand. So like you know, when we talk about numbers and we talk about like scientific uh, uh, facts, it's like. Uh, the criminal justice system is all wrong and and, and it, it, it just it feels that um that these jobs mm -hmm, it, it just kind of feels like these jobs are, are these the, these correctional jobs or these prisons and jail systems are only uh, uh, existing because people around small towns and certain neighborhoods need jobs and, and and to help them build the town's economy so now it's like you know we're in this point where um, America and, and other different places that are dealing with mass incarceration are using scientific facts and saying like the criminal justice system is not going how it's supposed to go. And like, we're all looking at Norway and Germany and the way it operates. And, and I have to say to all of us is like, is I should have never even been in the system in the first place. Right. Um, and it was many different ways that I could have been able to not be in a system, right? Like I could have not been in the system and my, and my school system had more counselors than, than more police officers. You know what I'm saying? I could have not, I would have not been in the system. My community had more resources as um, making sure they have uh, cure violence, individuals who are credible messengers, 
um, more after-school programs, more um, abilities to have entrepreneurs who, who, who have businesses come back into our community and, and open up programs to teach us the ones and twos about understanding the dollar. Um, and, and even the most important things like critical thinking, right? Because a lot of times our, a lot of our youth, um, you know, is, it, it, there's, there's a different way of how do we react to things. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can go on and on about this, but I think, you know, for me, I, don't, I won't really say if I wasn't tried as an adult, um, that would, I would have, you know what I'm saying? It would have been better. I, I, I'll just say like, I shouldn't even been in the criminal justice system at all. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think America's way a higher relies on punishment than more healing. It shows, you know what I'm saying? And it shows um, where as a country where we still have 2.1 million people still incarcerated um, and, and not to even talk about right now, people on the federal level are being, um, you know, because of Trump uh, are being <laughs> killed. You know what I'm saying? By uh, like, you know, uh, electric shock or, or, or being, you know what I'm saying? Like, and let me correct that being, uh, um, life being taken, right? Like it, it's, it's just, you know, I can go on and on about this, but it's a lot of things that's happening that, um, that my story is a part of a lot of different stories and many different elements. So I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Thinking about it from a, from the outside looking in perspective, if you have kids, um, cause I understand that it's about the community programs reinvesting in your community, uh, you know, the, the school system, education, all these things contribute. Um, in an instance where there, there are um, issues with behavior, whether it's, you know, violating the criminal justice system or just behavioral issues in general, what is your suggestion or what do you, what do you promote for, you know, that, that age bracket, that preteen and teenage age bracket where kids tend to get into a bit more trouble on mm-hmm. a solution for that, or, or what do you suggest for that in addition to community programs? So if we do think about something from a healing perspective versus a punishment perspective, what does that look like? Yeah, I think the most important things we, we have to start investing in the public health uh, the, um, sectors, um, investing in like the abilities to understand violence, right? Um, I think is a very important part of how America is actually attacking violence as a health crisis. Um, and I talk really like big about the cure of violence um, uh, um, abilities of how they look at violence and knowing that, you know, if someone has seen violence or have had violence done on them, that it attached to them as a disease. And, and, and it just, you know, is very important for us to, to start investing in, in, in the pillar of like public health, right? People in our neighborhood are dealing with mental health problems, PTSD, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll say oh, the other important part is housing. Even people who are coming home are having a hard time coming home, or, or people who are, who are, you know, um, trying to put put food on the table. I sold drugs my whole life, and and my thing is is like, for someone who, you know, was homeless and, and, and was being denied job opportunities everywhere, it's hard. You know what I'm saying? Because when you're in survival mode and you don't live in these neighborhoods and you don't know like what elements are are, are being created to to oppress people. Or you don't understand the the pillars of what's landing people in incarceration, or you don't understand like there's if you're not you're not having a conversation about like what exactly is happening in your neighborhood, um you know why is our neighborhood dirty as it is? You know what I'm saying why is our neighborhood you know what I'm saying um, why is our neighborhood black and brown communities are most hit by the pandemic? Like I can go on and on about this, but I say for you is like you know our community is not just employment that's being needed, it's, it's housing. 
um, back into employment, economic development, education in schools, right? Um, go back to what you just said, community programs and services, uh, conflict information, alternative accountabilities, right? Um, and structural investments, right? And structural investments means like entrepreneurship, opportunities for people who sold drugs their whole life. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's be truthful. A lot of these guys who are, are you know what I'm saying, trying to sell drugs, they don't, they don't want to work in, a, in, in, some of them don't want to work in, in the job system. And I think that is the hardest thing for a lot of people is like, oh, they selling drugs to provide, but some people don't want to work in, 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 in the job system. So how do we educate them about entrepreneurship um, thinking? And I, I think for me, like, you know, like, think about it. If it costs 350000 per person to keep them detained in a jail system or uh, as Rikers Island, imagine what we could do with that money. And for all taxpayer, for all wrongdoings and lawsuit, what people are paying $10 million every year. You know what I'm saying? And to take all detainees, and that's what we call people who are incarcerated, back and forth for all five girls for, uh, uh, to, to the court system before the pandemic was $30 million. So like when we talk about, uh, you, if you don't understand the factor about like the elements of, of what's landing people in incarceration, you should understand the factor about the fund, the, where your tax money is going. And like, you know, there's a lot of times for people who, who, who play the devil's advocate, I, I ask you to one, um, to have the courage to have conversation with people who are directly impact, two, to look at Khalid Browder's documentary and see what it actually does to people. Um, three, it's like, you know, this is for us to keep furthering our, our to be a, a, a fellow countryman, right, or countrywoman, um, we, we should be able to understand, like, what exactly is, is, is happening to certain sectors of certain people, like people of black and brown, to understand, like, why is this country, where is that now? Why, you know, why didn't, you know, all these white supremacies, you know what I'm saying, uh, went to the Capitol? Like, you know, that we're in a crucial moment that this country is the most divided that ever been. And I think for anyone who's playing devil advocate, we have to ask ourselves, where are you, where, where are you? You know what I'm saying? Where was you when a lot of people was marching for the Black Lives Matter? You know what I'm saying? Where were you, you know, when the Khalid Browder's uh, story is being told? You know, like, I, I think there's a moment where we have to ask ourselves and forget our egos and forget our, our, our abilities to, to only think one lens and say, you know, let me stop and think about this. Like, you know, how do we work together? Like, what exactly is the problem that's happening? Um, so I say to you, you know, these are like um, a lot of people in my neighborhood living in these neighborhoods. I know what they need, you know, and I also was an individual who's been through the criminal justice system and has changed their life. Um, and, and my story is like many different stories around, you know, around the country or, or, or many different people who are in the criminal justice system. Um, and, and I think, you know, for someone who's still playing devil's advocate, uh, you know, I should be the, the the mirror or the abilities of what it means. So if you have enough resources, when you give that person enough resources that they can flourish and be someone who is successful and they can do a, a, a be productive back into their communities. You know, one of the things I have to tell you and I go back to, you know, I, I, even for me being incarcerated and doing some of the harm I did in my community is very, you know, I wanted to give back and I wanted to empower my community, you know, and, and for me, when I came home, I asked myself, how can I do that? And I got active um, with the Close Rikers Island campaign, but also I, 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 got in, um, I got hired on a food truck that only hires formerly incarcerated people. And in 2015, we won the Venny Awards, and also we won the best food truck in New York City. So I, I, I have to always say, when you give people resources, um, and, and a great guy said, if you give uh, 
the people close to the problem, close to the solution. And that's a very unique like uh, quote because it's, it says if we have the people who have been the most harmed by the issue of the mass incarceration at the table, um, we'll be okay. And we'll be able to, to progress as a country, we'll be able to progress as neighbors, we'll be able to progress as people um, working together um, to kind of build this country where we want to see it. I, I love that. And so I, you actually brought me to my next question, which is, you know, once you were, once you were able to get out the second time, what resources were provided for you? How did you, what, how did you get the support you needed to be able to create this new life um, of activism and programs that you created so that you could contribute back? Like, where did those things come from? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, the I have to go back to because the second the second time I got incarcerated, uh, I was 19 years old, and it was very weird when I landed in the in, in Rikers Island again. I seen people who was still awaiting trial, or people who returned back who returned back the same way like me. And <clears throat> I was actually you know going to school, getting my GED, um, and I think that was because a lot of a lot of the older dudes around me was like, get your school, bro, get your education. Um, and I got, uh, I, I learned about this program called the Get Out Stay Out program um, that only works with youth um, who are 18 to 25 to get them back to the society um, by one, getting them into the job force and two, um, working with other organizations and other uh, businesses to understand the importance of hiring formerly incarcerated people. So I was with them since 2010. And when I, when I came, uh, basically when I came home, uh, the get out, stay out program was a reentry program. And I, they saved my life for real. Like, you know, these guys, um, while I was still incarcerated, they came to see us while we was incarcerated. They start every month. They came, they came to see anyone who was signed to the program to check in with them, to see where there was lease stasis so we can prepare them to return back to society. The first week being at the GOSO program, at the Get Out, Stay Out program, our first first of two weeks, we have to take trainings on how to create resumes um, and then like how to uh, sit through a job interview, how to tie a tie, you know, how to actually uh, interview in front of someone while everyone in the class is watching. I, I mean, I was happy, you know what I'm saying? Because it, 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 taught, it taught me like, you know, that you need these points to challenge and be in spaces where people are bringing college degrees to some of these jobs. And at the end of the week, uh, we interview with the, e with the ED and they actually give us a check. <laughs> and um, so the Get Out Stay Out program helped me a lot. And I got involved with Drive Change. Uh, I got hired at Drive Change, the food truck, um, and, 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 and other programs as um, Osborne. Because um, I had to do Osborne when I first came home. Um, a lot of people come home, has to take drug programs. Um, even if they're not, even if on the, under their uh, fouls say that they haven't used drugs, they have you take drug programs. It's so weird. Um, and um, I took drug programs, counseling, and everything else I needed. Um, but I, I just say the reentry um, department and sector helped me out the most. Um, and, and I'm just happy to even say that I'm, I'm probably going to be probably working with, working with them soon, but you know, it's very funny to, to do a spin, right? Like, you know, you went through the reentry program with them. Now you're going to be probably hired to be with them, you know? So and I that's think. I, to mm -hmm. people and youth about 
what's possible than someone who actually went through it. You know, like you said before, a lot of people who were from the, you know, poorer neighborhoods or, you know, who actually were able to get out, they got out and left, right? They didn't come back to invest. And I think that is, you know, critical as well as, you know, everyone should be supporting, not just the people who are from there, but also, you know, people like me, now that we know Get Out, Stay Out program, things like that. These are things that we can invest in or volunteer in, donate to. Um, you know, I think it's, I, I'm glad that you found it because you're very inspiring. Um, I do want to also ask you, can you share more about the Close Rikers uh, campaign and, and yeah. how started that and, and you know, what can people do to get involved and why, why should they get involved? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not just even the Close Rikers. I, I'll, I'll push further than that, why people should get involved in any community work that's around the neighborhood. Um, you know, the Close Rikers Island campaign, when I got active with it, um, is hitting close to four and a half years, camp, a four year and a half campaign. Um, it was launched on the steps of City Hall with 50, uh, uh, 50 people, right? Like individuals who was uh, directly impacted faith leaders, grassroots organization, reentry organizations, and other like uh, sectors of, of, of uh, the, you know, people who do work in the criminal justice system. And our goal was simple. After the Khalid Browder's, um, you know, after the Khalid Browder story, everyone was angry. It was like, we have to do something. And the goal was to close Rikers. It sounded crazy. It sounded very powerful. And, it, and I'll be truthful, it sounded sexy, right? Like, you know, people was like, close Rikers? You know, um, and in the first year, uh, Mayor de Blasio is our mayor. Um, in the first year that the mayor, de Bla mayor de Blasio, um, came into office, Rikers Island had eleven thousand detainees who was awaiting trial. Now we are uh, lower um, than four thousand people who are detained in all the jail system, all of Rikers Island. And when you look at that population decrease, we are the we are the biggest city in in, in America with the less people. We are the biggest city in, in America with the less people incarcerated, um, and we are also um, at one point it, 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 it's just it's powerful. And and I think for a lot of people, um, the Close Rikers Island campaign in the first year, we was able to fold and push the mayor to say it was time to close Rikers. You know, in the first year when he came up in New York One and other newscasts and saying I. I is the time now to close Rikers Island. The way we was able to do that was to talk to our city council members, to talk to other elected officials who had influencing um, in the in city hall and other sectors. Um, and I think for me, like, and of uh, and two years ago, we was able to actually um, city council voted for many different things, but they voted for um, not just to close Rikers Island, right? Um, to make it illegally bonded after 2026 that no one can be incarcerated on Rikers Island. Um, and I know the pandemic is kind of pushing that back, um, but that was like one of the goals that we was able to accomplish, but not just even on top of that, we was able to accomplish uh, a, a remarkable um, investment in black and brown communities. Um, I was a part of uh, helping to create something called the Build Community Platform. Um, and the built community platform was basically, you know, to uh, to understand what 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 investments community actually need, right? Um, and that investments was approximately three hundred million to go into 
uh, like I'm gonna break some of them down. It, it, it sounds very weird for some people, but even like if you, if I talk about major about the mental health aspect, um, 23 million in, in New York City uh, went into investing to prevent and respond to mental health crisis. So you know now New York has something called the heat map. So they like health engagement and assistant teams. Um, so basically, they're the individuals who are um, talking to people who don't don't have a roof over their head. Um, and having conversation with people, how they get get them back on their uh, feet, um, and then 6.5 million in investing in in restorative justice programs. As we're talking about, what does it look like to uh, 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 to actually uh, get people into program than incarceration, um, and and even the three, you know, like 3.5 million in in like uh, diversion programs, and I and I think diversion programs is is what's being talked around, not just here, but like no nowhere in Germany's. Um, how do we divert people from the prison and jail system and divert them into programs? Um, and I say to you, like, there's a difference with, like, why you need to get active. Look at where we're at right now, right? Like, you know, everyone's fighting from all different ways, you know. Um, if you look at some of our Native brothers who and brothers and sisters who now got most of their land back in Oakland, I mean, in, uh, who got, got some of their land back in America, right? And, and we talk about the how, you know, um, Right now, the Black Lives Matter is, is being talked about majorly, um, is being talked about on a national level. Um, I, I think there's a point of, of how important it is of all of us to get more involved in local organizations because they need us right now. They need us to, to make sure that um, people who are advocates and align with our messaging are, are being put into office. You know what I'm saying? We are seeing in New York and in America how the abilities of flipping Georgia was able to get people... Um, you know the the abilities to get people's um, checks that they need a stimulum check, right? Like, like it, it's just a, it's just a way that if we are getting more active in our local community and understanding some of the problems that we're dealing on our local side, then we'll be able to keep pushing to liberate our people in all many different ways. But you know, so to push our country to align itself of what it means, um, as it's, it, it says. Uh, um, the ability to pursue the happiness and, 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 and what does that actually mean, right? Um, some of these docs that, you know, the founding fathers created is, 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 is beyond the point of, of uh, it, it's, we should be rewriting it. And, and the way that we should be write, rewriting it, and I say truthfully, is by the community understanding that we need to change the way that America's system and how the criminal justice system and, and the way that the, this whole system has operated. Um, so I, I say with people, just get active. You know, what, what, what do you want to see in your community? Change. Like, what, how do you want to raise your kids in, in, in your community? You have to ask yourself that. You know, um, I told myself, I don't have no kids now, but I want to make sure that, you know, they come into the world where they, they can be good. They don't have to be like me. You know, be a part of the Stop and Frisk era where you're being thrown on the wall and, and your legs being spread and, and, and cops are checking you, check, you know, seeing if you have guns and I'm 14, 15 years old. I don't want no kids to go through um, being incarcerated at 16 years old and having to fight every single day and, and having to even be at school and not even paying attention in school. I want to be able to have kids, you know, have the resources they actually need and have role models, even if their father figure or their mother figure is not there. You know, you know, I want to have, I want to have, you know, we all want to see people and want to see our community thrive. I want to see people smile more. And, and I want people, I want people to be able to know that, you know, people are fighting for them. They're fighting for not just them, but for their kids. Um, 
and and I go back to it. You know what I'm saying? It, it's really important for you as as a country person that believes that you know there needs to be a better tomorrow. What is it? How are you going to get to there? You know, so I ask you if you get involved, you can even if you don't have a time, give one hour out of the month to a local organization. Challenge yourself. You know, you ask yourself when the civil rights movement and when a lot of things was happening um, that was impacting us, the question I asked you, where are you? What are you going to tell your grandkids? Um, what side of, of the history are you on? You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's, the, that's the major part I say to people. And, like, I, I, keep, keep going and I can keep going on. And I tell you, like, this can happen to anyone. You know what I'm saying? Um, as I mean, it happened to anyone is like, you know, a, a kid can probably look at Khalid Browder, you know what I'm saying? And look at other different individuals who were, went to the criminal justice system who was innocent. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to say like someone who, 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 who um, is being faced, um, you know, with consequences or, or, or basically are being tried that, you know, they shouldn't be held accountable. But I, I just say like, look how our criminal justice system is doing to our people. You know what I'm saying? And, and when I say our people, it don't matter if you're not black. You know what I'm saying? Like, everyone is your people. If they live in your country and, they, and, and they're people, they're your people. So. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for that. And we really appreciate um, spending the time with you to talk about uh, the criminal justice system. I think that uh, to your point and to Samira's point, there's a lot of unknowns and because this nation is one that focuses on punishment and obviously there's an economic value behind um, cheap mm-hmm. labor, uh, criminals being in jail, um, a way to, uh, you know, different forms of control. We understand that, you know, and, and even the economics of how, how much someone locked up versus investing in community programs. So like you said, there's a lot of history um, and a lot of other, um, other streams that are being pulled, but um, we thank you for that information, for pointing those things out. I think it's something that we need to do a better job of understanding. And I think, you know, people often donate to, you know, causes like education and putting kids through school and, you know, lost puppies and those sorts of things. But I think there's a tremendous amount of value of putting money in, like you said, volunteer time in, in, reevaluating the criminal justice system and making sure that resources are in places in places in these communities so kids don't even end up in a place where it even has to be a discussion so um we want to thank you for coming on the show we want to thank you for dropping all of that knowledge yeah, thank you very informative so with this last part what we would like for you to do is to uh tell the listeners um where can they find you um, all the different platforms they can find you, all the different websites. Thank, thank you for having me. I, I really as well as as well as um, the different organizations that you work for or work with. So uh, feel free to give that information to our listeners now. Yeah, definitely. So um, right now we just launched a campaign called uh, "Ending Qualified Immunity" um, on the local and state side. Um, I, 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 hopefully, we we will be able to. And qualified immunity on the uh, on the uh, basically be put on the Congress um, federal side, um, but right now, um, so my Instagram you can look me up at I am Vidal Guzman, um, and I, I you know that is where you can find my Instagram. 
Um, I also tell people to follow the uh, NQ, NQI NYC. Um, follow them if you're from New York or you have family in New York um, to make sure you understand what's happening around New York. Um, that that is the number one thing you can look me at, um, and I, I think the you know that's a very important part. Um, you know, as we trying to end, ending qualify immunity, that's what I'm working on next. Um, and that's the major part that we're trying to make sure that, you know, we, we're telling people it's time to hold people accountable, especially police officers who overuse their power. So that's the things that I'm going to be working on next. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure getting to know you. I'm uh, grateful to have met you. I can't wait for my kids to listen to this episode. <laughs> Um, I'm happy. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, share it with them and their friends. Uh, you know, it's good for them to also, you know, appreciate what they have and learn how they can give back and help others um, that are their same age and can uh, really be impactful in the community and in the world. Thank you for listening to another episode of We're Not So Different podcast. Be sure to subscribe, share, and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on social media by looking up the handle at WNS Different or We're Not So Different on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also join us live on Instagram or check out our previous live episodes on IGTV by following us at WNS Different. If you have comments, questions, or thoughts, feel free to email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.